Hello and welcome to the Switch Your Money On podcast with me, Susanna Streeter, here in the studio at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And me, Sarah Coles, Head of Personal Finance. So, Sarah, we've made it to January and the bit of the year where nobody really knows whether to keep saying New Year to each other or not. Yes, but we are still firmly within everyone's least favourite time of year, and that's scam season. Yes, scam season ramps up while we're Christmas shopping, uh, but it also builds towards the self-assessment deadline at the end of this month. So that's what we're exploring in more detail in this episode of the podcast, Scam Shockers. We'll be talking to Richard Berry, founder of thegoodmoneyguide.com, an investor's guide. So, Richard, you've been exploring the latest trends in financial scams. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about the research that you've been doing? Absolutely, absolutely. But um, first of all, thank you very much for for having me on. It's nice to be asked some questions for a change instead of uh, instead of me asking them, so that we can share our share our research with um, with Hargreaves and your and your users. So it'll be great to explore those findings in more detail later in the podcast. And um, we'll also be talking to HL's lead equity analyst Sophie Lund Yates about how scams should be part of the picture, where people are looking into listed companies. And Helen Morrissey, our Head of Retirement Analysis, will be outlining some of the pension scam risks people are facing. Thus, we'll hear from ESG analyst Tara Klee about why cybersecurity is an ESG issue. And we'll be getting a funds perspective from Emma Waller, Head of Investment Research and Analysis. But before we get stuck in, it's worth starting with a snapshot of the scam season. So in December, both NatWest and Santander issued warnings to their customers, highlighting the risks of being taken for a ride by scammers. That's with just under a fifth of people saying they face more scams at Christmas and purchase scams in particular are up by more than a third. Then there's the rise of scams relating to shopping, including things like fake delivery scams and failed payment scams, plus scams taking advantage of the fact that money is likely to be scarce, and that includes things like loan fee scams. So Trade Body UK Finance estimated that £100 million will be stolen over the festive period, with the threats actually enhanced by artificial intelligence, and that's according to GCHQ. And as we have hit the new year, attention has turned to tax scams. Now, back in October, HMRC warned that it had received more than 130,000 reports of tax scams in a year, of which almost half were tax rebate scams. Now, others tell customers they need to update their tax details or threaten immediate risk for tax evasion. Yes, I think I've actually had those uh, those scam emails. But scams aren't just for Christmas or indeed for the new year. So criminals keep the pressure up throughout the year with a number of scams that particularly target investors. So they might offer an investment which doesn't actually exist or one that exists, but they have no intention of putting your money into. Or they may pretend to be from a legitimate company to convince you to part with your money. The rise of cryptocurrency has added to the risks where people are offered an investment in a cryptocurrency that doesn't exist or promises to invest in something like Bitcoin and takes your money instead. Of course, scammers are interested in getting their hands on as much cash as possible. So they target one of the biggest assets many people have, their pensions. So we've got Helen Morrissey on hand to tell us a bit more about what to look out for. Welcome, Helen. Great to have you with us. So what should we be on alert for, Helen? 
Oh, thanks, Susanna. So, yes, you're absolutely right about pensions being a real target for scammers. It's probably the biggest financial asset that many people have besides their home, and fraudsters will stop at nothing to get their hands on it. It's been a real area of concern for government in recent years, with high-profile advertising campaigns aimed at raising awareness around this activity. Well, that sounds really horrible. So what kind of tactics do they tend to take? So pension scammers, they're what I would call the ultimate shapeshifters. They change their tactics to take advantage of the latest changes in pensions. And we've seen many of those in recent years. So, for instance, when we had the introduction of pension freedom and choice, we saw people being offered free pension reviews out of the blue as a way of getting them to either cash out their pensions or transfer them to a new arrangement. Over the years, we've seen scams trying to entice people to access their pensions before the age of 55, as well as the offer of complex overseas investments delivering extremely high levels of return. They charge high fees in exchange for these so-called services. And once they've got their hands on your money, then they disappear, leaving people with only a fraction, if any, of the pension that they've spent years building up. It's a huge issue with recent figures taken from action fraud showing an estimated 120 million was lost to pension fraud during 2023. And I hear the financial costs can really add up to even more than what the fraudsters actually take. Is that right? Absolutely. So people can find themselves slapped with huge fines as well. So, for instance, with pension liberation fraud, people will get fined up to 55% by HMRC for accessing their pensions early. So they've already lost money to the fraudster and then they've got a fine which just compounds the initial loss. It's a really tough situation and people can find their retirement dreams in tatters with very little that they can do to make up ground. So with all this in mind, what can people actually do to protect themselves, you know, given the fact these scammers change tactics so often? So the key thing is to beware of any contact that comes out of the blue, uh, for instance, offers to review your pension you know, or the potential to invest in a high yielding, often overseas investment. These can come by phone, email, text or even through social media. So beware. Secondly, the scammer may put pressure on you to make a speedy decision. It's important to say that no financial advisor would pressurise their client like this. So if you feel that you're being pushed into making a decision before you're ready, then this is a real red flag. Don't be scared to terminate contact with somebody if you feel that you're being pressured. It's your pension and you've got the right to make decisions in a time frame that is right for you. And finally, I would say if something sounds too good to be true, uh, then it often is. And this should ring warning bells. If someone is offering you an investment with high returns, for instance, there is a real chance that it could be a scam as no level of investment return can ever be guaranteed. These people can be really plausible and will impersonate everyone from a financial advisor to HMRC in a bid to trick you. If you have any concerns, then terminate contact so you can check whether they are who they say they are before making any decisions. And if you think you or a loved one has been contacted by a scammer, then be sure to contact Action Fraud. Any other advice for people who think they might have been scammed? 
Yeah, so many scam victims don't want to report what's happened to the police. Many people feel ashamed that they've fallen for it or they don't want people to know that their money has been taken. However, it's really important to report this activity as it not only helps the police to track down the scammers, it will also help you to get the support that you need to deal with what's happened to you. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Helen. It is really good to know what to watch out for, especially when it comes to protecting something as important as our pensions. So let's bring in Richard Berry now, who's the founder of thegoodmoneyguide.com, who's been investigating the really sophisticated ways in which scammers are looking to part people from their money. He's also produced some research looking into the most recent trends and those across social media as well. So Richard, how much of a risk are scams in your book? They've always been a massive risk. And I think with the introduction of social media and particularly videos on on TikTok, they're getting worse and worse. We looked at some official police data over the last few years and this is, this is just reported losses on financial scams. There was £75 million lost in one year. Social media reports of people losing money have have actually trebled over the last three years with Instagram users reporting around about 1800 scams to the police in one year. Facebook users reported losing 33 million pounds in one year and and TikTok scam reports to police have gone up about 45 fold in the space of a year. There was even an instance of one user losing about four million pounds in one scam alone. And rather sadly, you know, these scammers are targeting uh, children as well. 24 children under the age of 10 were caught out by scams on social media. And actually what's interesting is, is the young are more susceptible to scams on social media than older people, because I think older people have a sort of general mistrust of social media or anything online. My father-in-law, for example, still won't buy anything on Amazon or put his credit card into, into a website. So I think there's a sort of natural distrust with old people, but young people, the videos on social media are becoming so convincing. And when people gain followers, you know, the more followers you have, the more believable you become. The rise in TikTok scam sounds really alarming. Are there sort of particular trends within social media that, that you've been able to pick up or that you're aware of what, that, that people are falling foul of? There's a few very consistent types of scams that people need to be aware of. The first is, is cloning existing brands. It's very easy to replicate somebody's website. The FCA register, for example, which is where you can go to check if someone is a regulated provider, has been cloned by um, scammers who, you know, then put legitimate or supposed legitimate information to make them seem legitimate. So if the FCA register can be scammed, people don't really stand a chance. It's very easy to impersonate other people on social media. Deep fakes are becoming particularly relevant, you know, on my feed. I don't know why, but I see lots of Leonardo DiCaprio deep fake skit. <clears throat> That's the main one to look out for, is fake profiles. The other one is the classic pump and dump scheme where it's particularly relevant in crypto because there's not a lot of liquidity. It's it's not regulated at all. But this this is very common, is someone will invent a cryptocurrency out of thin air, get it listed on an exchange, and then find some influencers with loads of followers, and they will then pay them to go, well, I've just bought this amazing cryptocurrency, I think it's going to go to the moon. And then, of course, their million followers see that, 
and then they Google, oh, where can I buy this? And then they go onto this exchange, uh, which is probably unregulated and based in the Bahamas or, or something like that. And they see this tiny cryptocurrency worth about five cents and think, oh, I'll put some, I'll put some money into that. And of course, because there's more buyers than sellers, the share price goes up and the people who invented the cryptocurrency start selling it to buyers on the way up. And then obviously when they've sold all of their cryptocurrency and the influencers have stopped promoting it, most of the time unwittingly, there's no more buyers and then it just, it just falls back down to earth and, and becomes, becomes worthless. So what can people do, do you think, to protect themselves from investment scams more broadly? Diversification is the foundation of investing. If something is too good to be true, it almost certainly is. So don't put all your money into one investment just in case it is a scam. Research as well. You should check everywhere. The FCA register is a great place to start. It's not infallible because there have been many, many regulated firms that have turned out to be scams, but it's a, it's a good place to start. Um, they keep a list of all the regulated firms in the UK that are approved to conduct financial business. They also keep a list of cloned websites that I was talking about before. So if you suspect something is a little bit off, you can go to the FCA register and they will tell you whether or not it's a legit website or a clone. And ask, don't think you can do it on your own. Come on to social media and ask other people or even come on to the Good Money Guide and ask. We actually get lots of people emailing into us going, you know, do you think this is legit? Now, of course, that social media has in many ways introduced more people to the world of investing, but there are real risks, aren't there, with people kind of pretending to be somebody they just simply aren't. You're absolutely right. And in fact, it's now so easy to appear to give legitimate advice, a sort of Warren, Warren Buffett effect, where you can just buy an S&P 500 tracker and you'll be fine. There's many clips of Warren Buffett on social media saying that's actually what most investors should do. And for scammers in particular, or people who want to appear as gurus, it's very easy to replicate that implied advice. And then that sort of gains trust. If you look at a few of the major Hollywood films about investment scams over the years, from Wolf of Wall Street to, to, to Boiler Room, you know, the M.O., of those guys is to recommend a legitimate FTSE 100 or, or Dow 30 stock to gain trust from people. And then when that's legitimised or potentially legitimised or hasn't caused too much pain, they then come back with the really high risk scam. There's just one thing I wanted to ask you. You sort of talked about younger people being being targeted. Um, so if older people who have a bit more experience of these things and do know the sorts of risks that lie in wait, is there anything they can do to protect the younger people in their lives from this sort of thing? I think just talk to them and ask and, and press as well. Because obviously, you know, like um, Helen said earlier, people are deeply embarrassed about being scammed or, or being taken in. And the other thing I think is worth mentioning as well is that we did a survey with YouGov about three years ago on attitudes towards scam investments. At the time, there were lots of fake Dragon's Den and Martin Lewis adverts around promoting cryptocurrency. And one of the things we were interested in is how people interact with scam adverts when they, when they see a scam. We surveyed about 2,500 people. 44% said they'd seen an advert they thought was a scam. 11% clicked on that advert out of curiosity, 18% clicked on it without realising it was a scam. But of all of those people, only 20% reported 
that fake advert as a scam. And this is really important because this is what people need to do. Social media platforms need to be held accountable for the fake adverts that they're showing and the dodgy profiles. And they're now obliged to provide a facility for people to report those adverts as scams or fake. And I see them on all the social networks I use, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Next to any video or any advert, there is a little button, usually in the sort of top right or the top left, that allows you to report an advert. And if you see those adverts and you don't report them, it's potentially going to result in someone being scammed. So we have to do our bit by reporting what we would consider a scam advert. So we all have a part to play. Well, Richard, thank you so much. It's really good to get an idea of just what we can do to protect ourselves from these threats. Thank you very much for having me. So there are some additional ways that people can protect themselves from scams more generally. So it's important to view any text or email as a potential scam. So the sender may say, for example, that they're a retailer or a bank or even a police officer. And this is a common tactic. So don't believe them until you've hung up and contacted the organisation using details from their official website. Or you can dial 101 for the police. So if you're worried that HMRC is trying to contact you, then you can call the self-assessment hotline or go into your government gateway account to check whether the reason they're saying they're contacting you is actually legitimate. It's worth taking your time. One classic technique for scammers is to rush you into action, whether it's asking for your bank details for fear of missing out on a deal or getting you to move your money uh, because you're under threat. They hope you'll act before thinking. So take a breath and just really think through what they're offering or claiming. One of the telltale signs to look out for is to get an unexpected cold call or email or text just out of the blue. And alarm bells should also be ringing even louder if it's tied into something that everyone is talking about at the moment. So that might be sort of a new story or it could be around the tax deadlines. And of course, never click on any link in an email or text message from senders you don't already know. Never give out your bank details, however convincing the person at the other end of the line might sound. Of course, it's not just investors concerned about scams. It's an issue for listed companies too. Well, let's bring in Sophie Lund-Yates now, our lead equity analyst who's been uh, looking through the lens of listed companies. So what's the main thing to consider, Sophie? Hi. So perhaps unsurprisingly, the biggest consideration really sector wise is financial services, including banks. So really, these these institutions have to be able to prove that they have strong enough controls in place to help prevent financial scams and fraud. So really, that covers a broad spectrum um, from everything from identity theft to financial abuse. Now, the regulatory spotlight is a consideration for investors or potential investors in companies that operate in this space. So it's an ongoing risk. And any major missteps can result in not only significant fines, but negative share price movements as well. So how can investors best assess this risk? How should they go about thinking about scams? Okay, so there are really kind of a a couple of ways to think about this. Now, one thing investors should do is to take a look at a company's annual report. Now, these are readily available on corporate websites. You can really get a sense um, from this about how seriously a firm takes its anti-fraud obligations and the work that's done to stay within regulatory guidelines, you know, or not. Um, Now, at the same time, scam activity is another reminder to focus on companies with strong balance sheets and cash flow. Now, in the situation of lenders or, or other financial companies, these markers are important 
all of the time when investing, but especially so through the lens of scams. Um, And that's because companies with financial strength have more resources to throw behind prevention. But it also means that if a fine were ever to come their way, they're more likely to be able to stomach it. So I suppose that covers some of the risks investors need to know. But what do scams mean for market opportunities? Now, this is a very valid question. Now, as we've been discussing, we're living in a world where scams and broader cybercrime are becoming more mainstream. And that's thanks to a big increase in our day-to-day use of technology. And when new types of threat like this emerge, so too do novel preventions. Now, there is a great deal of new tech surrounding things like data privacy and protection, as well as broader cybersecurity, which is, of course, slightly different to all-out scams, but is closely linked, especially when you look at some of the high-profile hacking that's occurred in recent years. So why does this matter? Now, the reason this matters is that there are exciting new technologies that only a few companies can truly afford to develop and scale. Surprise, surprise, I'm referring to big tech. So the likes of Amazon and Microsoft in particular have leading cloud security solutions and infrastructure. With so few companies allowed a seat at this table and with the addressable customer base only growing, this opens the door to lucrative and recurring revenue streams. Another thing to keep in mind is artificial intelligence will also play a part in scam detection and prevention in the future. And AI is a notoriously expensive and highly technologically tough gig to fund and develop, which also lands big tech companies in the driving seat. Okay, thanks very much, Sophie. So we want to chat a little bit more about this topic now. So let's look at this with an ESG focus now. It's a good time to bring in Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research and ESG Analyst, Tara Klee. Thanks, Susanna. So, Tara, why should investors consider the impact and potential risks poorly managed cybersecurity could have on their investments? Thanks, Emma. When assessing the risks in your investment portfolio, it's important to consider environmental, social and governance risks, otherwise known as ESG. And in an increasingly digital world, cybersecurity is one of the most immediate and financially material ESG risks companies face today. In simple terms, cybersecurity is the protection of networks, devices and data from unauthorised access and attacks. For example, a bank may face a cyber attack, which results in the loss of customer money or loss of customer personal data, leaving affected individuals vulnerable to follow-on fraud attempts. When a company falls victim to a cyber attack, this can result in financial loss from the breach and from subsequent fines from the regulator as well as damage to reputation and brand and loss of customer trust. All of this can ultimately impact share price and investor return. This is why it's vital for companies to have robust cybersecurity controls in place to ensure the safety of their networks, devices and data. Thanks, Tara. It's definitely an issue worth exploring. With that in mind, I have spoken to James Thompson from Rathbones about how he considers digital risks, including cybersecurity, when making investments. Hello, James. Hello, Emma. I just wanted to take it back to basics here, because ultimately cybersecurity is a financial risk. And, and I wanted to understand how you, as an equity fund manager, how has your analysis of financial risks changed over the years as businesses have digitalized? Well, cyber incidents have grown significantly, you know, have really been supercharged since the pandemic as the digitalization trend accelerated. We're thinking much more about the financial impact. The contagion and interdependence between systems have increased the damage. Regulatory fines, um, lost business due to the interruption. 
significant litigation risk from those affected by it, and reputational damage are very real risks. In 2024, cybercrime will cost the world over $300,000 a second. And cybersecurity consistently ranks in the top five global risks in perception surveys of global CEOs, probably because if there's a major breach on their watch, they're going to lose their jobs. My eyes were open to this back in 2017 when one of the investments in my fund, Equifax, was hit by a cyber attack. Equifax is a consumer credit reporting agency. They calculate your credit score. The hackers were in Equifax's system for about 76 days. They accessed it through a known vulnerability that Equifax failed to patch, giving them access to the entire system. That intrusion led to the largest known theft of personally identifiable information ever carried out. Addresses, birth dates, social security numbers on approximately 40% of the U.S. population. The stock price collapsed by as much as 35% and the CEO resigned. Investors don't usually feel sorry for the corporate victims of cybercrime. It's usually viewed as a governance failure, a governance failure that had a very real financial and reputational impact. I sold the stock after this incident back in 2017. But the damage can be repaired and reputations rebuilt. Equifax has since spent more than $1.4 billion updating its technology infrastructure, now arguably leading the pack. We bought the stock back last year, despite one of the worst mortgage markets in living memory. That's a really interesting example of how cybersecurity can almost decimate a company. I'm interested to know what you've learned from that experience and, and how you now consider cybersecurity as part of your equity analysis. Are there sectors where this is particularly pertinent or, or is this now something actually that all companies should be aware of? Yes, I mean, it, it, cybersecurity is now a part of our investment process, but it's not easy to benchmark cybersecurity resilience. Comparisons and standards are different and subjective. And disclosure is quite patchy because many firms, quite rightly, are reluctant to give too much disclosure because it, it could attract more attacks. We use some ESG consultants and sell-side firms that provide more granular information, um, but that's not helpful for every investor because the analysis isn't publicly available. I think if investors want to look for more information on this, many public companies publish a sustainability report on their website or they should feel free to email the investor relations team at these companies. Look, I think the, the sectors most exposed would be those companies who are systemically important, where there is a significant knock-on impact on other industries, or they have uh, infrastructure that's critical to life and safety. And of course, those companies that hold a lot of personally identifiable data, which can be used for fraud or identity theft. Financial services is one obvious industry to scrutinize closely. Uh, examples of this in, in my fund would be Visa and MasterCard. Uh, they continually face the risk of a systemically significant event should either of their payment networks face a breach. And as such, it's vital that both firms maintain strong and resilient cybersecurity controls. 
my previous conversations with the CEO of Visa uh, indicated that this is an area that has an unlimited budget and is a standing agenda item at every board meeting. The network itself cannot be breached using traditional cyber hacking techniques and would need to be physically breached at their network data center, which unsurprisingly, uh, the location is undisclosed. But the security there, I've been told, is not dissimilar to Fort Knox. I think you know, Visa has made excellent steps here. They've disclosed that they have over a thousand employees dedicated to preventing fraud and breaches. And partnerships have just been announced with security companies that help their clients identify their own cyber risks. What about investment opportunities? Because this obviously is an industry in and of itself. Do you have any direct plays on cybersecurity within the portfolio? Well, the obvious pure plays on security are some American companies, uh, Palo Alto Networks, CrowdStrike and Fortinet. But I've been reluctant to invest in them uh, because the valuations are so high. The growth trends can be lumpy from one quarter to the next. And industry dominance can quickly change until their platform solution is fully rolled out. I prefer to play it through Microsoft, uh, the largest holding in the fund. Microsoft is already the vendor of choice for almost every large enterprise, so giving them additional workloads is a much shorter sales cycle. And even though they are a huge business, security is one of the fastest growing segments and it's already a $20 billion security business with real pedigree in the space. But businesses like using single vendors that provide end-to-end solutions. It consolidates to reduce risk, complexity, and cost. I suppose investors could also look at insurance companies. Um, Cyber insurance uptake rates rose from 26% in 2016 to 47% in 2020, and I'm sure that number is just going to rise. The SEC has just put in very strict new rules around disclosure uh, of cyber events. And the EU court just yesterday set out grounds for compensation around just the fear of misuse of personal data due to inadequate security measures. So I think coverage requirements for insurance are only going to grow from here. James, as ever, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Thank you, Emma. Well, that was Emma Wall, first with Tara Klee and then with James Thompson from Rathbones. And just to stress, that was the view of the fund manager and should not be taken as individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And to end this episode, I have another challenging stat for Sarah. So, Sarah, are you ready? I'm really never ready for your challenging stats, Susanna. Okay, so the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau shows that fraud has cost a massive £2.5 billion over the past 13 months, that's all. But which is responsible for more fraud? Is it online shopping and auctions, check cards and online banking fraud? Those are the two choices, so online shopping and auctions or check cards and online banking fraud. Fundamentally, I I have no idea. Although at the end of last year, I was personally a victim of card fraud. So I'm going to go with that. I'm sorry to hear that, Sarah. No wonder you're an expert and actually got a question right for a change. You're right. Uh, So check card and online banking fraud is actually responsible for around £320 million of fraud, which is more than three times as much as online shopping and auction fraud. 
Yes, well, you know, that makes me feel marginally better about being a victim. Although, to be fair, I am still really disappointed that the high-flying scammers, they basically spent the money at KFC. It's a very mean way to get hold of some southern fried wings. Sorry about that, Sarah. Anyway, that's all from us for now. Before we go, I do need to remind you that this was recorded on the 8th of January 2024 and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Investments rise and fall in value so you could get back less than you invest and past performance is not a guide to the future. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Richard Helen, Sophie, Tara, Emma, James and our producer, Elizabeth Hodson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. Goodbye.